Hey, listening family, we have some exciting news. And we do have something exciting going on. We are going through a name change for our radio broadcast, and we're going to shift the name from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. And Walk in Truth is a name that I think helps capture the heartbeat of this ministry, help people to walk out the truth, to live out the truth, to walk by faith and not by sight. So we're going to stay the same. We're going to change from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. Today, Pastor Michael continues in the book of Mark, chapter 2, verse 23, with part two of a message titled, True Rest. So that law became a schoolmaster to drive me to the covenant, to return to the cross and remember that God did for me what I cannot do for myself. And so in so many stories that we have now encountered, back to Mark, if you would, in the Gospels, there's a deeper picture. There's something deeper going on. In the time of Jesus, the uh, scribes and Pharisees had taken the Old Testament uh, things associated with the Sabbath, and they had added 39 different divisions of laws and things that people had to do on the Sabbath. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. And it was so restricting to the people of God that the Sabbath became about a weight on people's shoulders. (gasps) Did I do something wrong? That's, That's what the mindset had become. Now, there were things that should definitely be honored, but if your religion is just about, oh, I hope I didn't blow it, oh, I hope I'm not in God, you know, out of God's good standing anymore, you've lost what Christianity is about. Christianity is about a relationship with a God who's already paid that price. It is finished, paid in full. That's who you are. Now, we don't always feel like that, of course, but we are a forgiven people. Would to God that we would act that way. Amen? And so here we got uh, Mark 2.23. It came about that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. Now, it becomes obvious as you begin to study this text that Jesus was being trailed. What I mean is people were following him around. Him and his disciples. You're about to see that they're going to pick the grain and the, the religious leaders are just waiting to stomp on something that they do, quote unquote, wrong in their eyes. I want to show you an uh, interesting context. If you go to Matthew, there's a parallel account in Matthew and Luke. Go to Matthew uh, 11. Matthew 11. Let's look at verse 28. I'm going to show you some familiar words, but I'm going to show you the context in which they uh, land. This is verse 27 of Matthew 11. Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you, what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden or my load is light. Now, no chapter breaks in the original scriptures keep reading. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath through the grain fields, and his disciples became hungry, there was a genuine need, and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. Would you notice, Bible students, that the famous statement 
about come to me all you who weary and are heavy laden is set in a context of the story we're studying in Mark chapter 2. In other words, Matthew has recorded by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these famous words right on the heels of the story that we're studying to uh, drive home the point that what Jesus' words were really getting after was a group of people so weighed down by Sabbath restrictions, their view of God had become so muddled and muddied that they couldn't even move on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said to those people, come to me. You see, I'm the fulfillment of that. I'll take the weight off of you. My yoke is what? Easy. My burden is light. Just news for you, Jesus does not want you to be weighed down by religion. He doesn't want it. Because the Jewish people, in many of the festivals and things that they were doing, they were doing them for religious purposes, and Jesus said, you confess me with your lips, but your hearts are what? Far from me. Jesus would rather have your heart than your religious activity if it's gone, if there's nothing really there. Now, what we do if it flows out of a a heart that's committed to the Lord, like get baptized or take the Lord's Supper or honor him on the day of worship, is a good thing. But the system, there is no true rest in the system. Psalm 37, 7 and 8 says, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who carries out wicked schemes, cease from anger, forsake wrath, do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. Psalm 37, 7 and 8. So Jesus and his disciples are passing through the grain fields, obviously being trailed by the uh, religious leaders. And they were doing something like this. They were taking the grain and they would rub the grain in their hands and they would separate the, the wheat from the what? Chaff. So it was a way to do it with your hands. And uh, this would be instant nutrition, and you could eat this, and it was a nutritious meal. And so interestingly enough, the word holy in Hebrew means that which comes out of the threshing. It means to set up, be set apart, but the temple was built on a threshing floor. And so here's what's interesting about the word holy. When you separate the wheat from the chaff, you're becoming more holy, That's what God wants to do in your life. And I think there's a picture here as the religious leaders are following Jesus' disciples to catch them in something. There's an image here of if you want to be truly holy, get rid of the chaff in your life. Don't focus on all the don't do this, don't do that. Focus on what really matters. The Sabbath was to be a delight to the people of Israel. And so a rest does remain for you and for me. And the Pharisees, Mark 2.24, if you turn back there, Mark 2.24, were saying to him, so they uh, addressed the teacher, and uh, it was said in these days, if you had disciples as a teacher, you were responsible for your disciples. That worries me. (laughs) For obvious reasons. So if you have a living truth sticker on your car, please walk wisely. Because, you know, sometimes I get the call. Does this person go to your church? Nope. Don't know them. <laughs> no, they, they found another church. <laughs> or they're about to. Anyway. And the Pharisees, Mark 2.24, were saying to him, to Jesus, see here. Now, don't you love this? This is the new American standard, but here's how it's put. The Pharisees, they saw the, the, the grain thing going on, and they went, see here. 
Anybody grow up with something like that? See here, young man. See here. What do you think you're doing over there? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> See here now. Let me straighten you out on this Sabbath stuff. Well, you know what? There was a Sabbath restriction that said you could only be a certain amount of feet from your home on the Sabbath day. What were they doing out in the fields following Jesus and his disciples? Were they breaking the Sabbath? The rules and restrictions that they had added, so many rabbinic uh, rules or the rules of the rabbis were added that uh, I mentioned it became almost ridiculous. And they said, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, one thing you need to see as a student of the Bible is when they use the word lawful, they're talking about the law of Moses. And there are some commentators that believe that when they say this, they're making a formal charge of Sabbath breaking. In other words, they're making a charge, almost think about it as a citizen's arrest. That's not lawful. And they're asking Jesus to respond. Um, I think they're trying to set him up to break the Sabbath. Now, this is a key verse, Deuteronomy 23, 24 and 25. Just write it down. Deuteronomy 23, 24 and 25 says, when you enter your neighbor's vineyard, then you may eat grapes until you are fully satisfied, but you shall not put any in your basket. So you know that, how many of you as a kid, you're walking along and a neighbor had like an apple tree and some of the branches were hanging over the wall or some were on the other side of the wall but you thought it was still close enough and you helped yourself to some fruit, right? And then the guy had a shotgun. Hey, see here. That's when you do this as a kid. Right? Well, in the law, they said that it was acceptable for a poor person to eat from the ends of a person's field to satisfy hunger. The difference was, if you picked grapes, you could eat until you were full, but you could not start putting stuff in your bag. So when you go to the buffet, you know, they say, all you can eat, but here only, <laughs> and not for two hours, right? That's what we're talking about. You know, stuff biscuits in your bag, Anybody ever broken that rule? Anybody want to confess right now? Oh, that salt shaker would look really good in my house. And, and I've been attending this restaurant for years, and, and I think it's just fine. I... <laughs> Can I get a witness? Anyway. When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, Deuteronomy twenty three twenty five, then you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. So if your neighbor's walking his field and he sees you, you know, with a sickle out there, like this is mine now, that's a problem. But if you're hungry on the Sabbath day, this would include the Sabbath, it would be acceptable not to starve and to help yourself. So here's the religious leaders, and Jesus responds, Mark 2.25, he said to them, have you never read... Now, this is a slap against the religious leaders because when you say to an expert in the Bible, haven't you read this? That's, that's a pretty uh, hard criticism. Have you never read what David did when he was in need, keyword, and became hungry? He and his companions. Now, Jesus references a story that's found in 1 Samuel 21. Just go ahead and write it down for your notes. 1 Samuel 21, and it moves into chapter 22. And what's happening in 1 Samuel 21, just to give you an overview of the story, is David is running from Saul. Saul is whacked out crazy, and he's trying to kill David. And David goes to the city of Nob, and there is a high priest named Ahimelech. 
Ahimelech is the father of Abiathar that's mentioned here. And if you read your study Bibles or read commentaries, there's uh, commentators that are perplexed as to this reference because Abiathar is alive at this time, but he's not apparently a priest. So there are some scholars that say, well, uh, the mention of uh, Abiathar here, uh, which is found in verse 26, I'm sorry, he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest. Well, he really shows up in chapter 22, but let me just show you what happens. Ahimelech is the high priest, and there's a, there's a shrine or a, a, the tabernacle set up in the city of Nob, and there's like 85 priests there. And so what's happening is they're putting out the sacred bread, 12 loaves baked fresh every Sabbath and to represent the 12 tribes, and they've got, a, they've got kind of the sanctuary set up there. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael Lance and this is Living Truth Radio and we'll be back to the teaching in a moment. I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available at Living Truth Radio. It's a book that I've written called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's all about spiritual warfare. It's all about how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's a special offer. Go to our website, livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button. And for any donation, we will send you a copy of that book. Just let us know in the contact form that you'd like a copy of that book. And now, back to the teaching. David shows up and he's hungry. He's on the run from Saul. And he says, hey, do you have any bread here? And the priest says, no, we don't have anything except the sacred bread, which Leviticus says is only to be eaten by the priests. And that's after you lay it out. The table of showbread is what we're talking about. And so the priest basically says, but you can have it. And David says, okay. So David takes the sacred bread and feeds himself and his men with it. And in addition to that, Ahimelech gives him the sword of Goliath that was also there and says, here, take this sword too. After all, you cut his head off, so this will be fine. And so he takes the sword. So David is taken care of by Ahimelech. His son is Abiathar. So Saul finds out about it. And Saul's been running, chasing David and his men. Now think with me. The, the religious leaders have been chasing Jesus and his men trying to find a reason to kill him. Jesus is the greater David. He's the son of David. David is a type of Jesus. Saul is a type of the religious leaders and Pharisees. At this point in Saul's life, he's lost the Holy Spirit. He wants to kill David because he knows David is the rightful king. Jesus is what? the rightful king, in John 11, the religious leaders say, if he goes on like this after he raises Lazarus, we're gonna lose our place and our nation. So just think with me for a second. So Saul and his army become a type of the religious leaders and their men trying to kill the greater David. That's their goal. So Jesus' purpose in telling this story has many layers, and I think that's why he mentions Abiathar, because Abiathar is the only one that survives what happens next. Saul calls Ahimelech, and he says, have you been helping my enemy, David? And Ahimelech says, uh, well, yeah, but I've been helping him for a long time. And, and he says, you're against me, and all your people are against me. And all these priests are dressed in ephods. They're in their priestly garment. And Saul is so upset, he tells his army to kill 85 priests. And the, the people of the army say, nope, not gonna do it. So he turns to a man named Dog the Edomite. You can read this in 1 Samuel 21. 
And Dog does it. He kills, he slaughters 85 priests in front of Saul, kills them all. And the son of Ahimelech, Abiathar, gets away with the ephod, and he becomes David's high priest, and that kind of starts in 1 Samuel 22, and then it's realized in 2 Samuel, I think you can check chapter 15. But I think what, the reason why Jesus makes this reference, and this is my personal take on the story, is because he's drawing a parallel. By the mention of Abiathar, Abiathar is the only one that survives Saul's terrible rage and there are scholars that believe the, the reference to 1 Samuel 22 also may be because the scroll was set up that way. So just a little bit further. But I, I think there's something deeper happening here. He entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar 26, Mark 2, the high priest, and he ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. And he gave it also to those who were with him. Now, do you think every priest in Israel knew the story from 1 Samuel 21 and 22? Oh yeah. They knew the story very, very well. They knew what happened there. They knew 85 priests died in that story. But never, I think, would any of them suspect that they were in the position of Saul. I wanna park here for a second and tell you that when we talk about Pharisees, we talk about Pharisaical attitudes in the church and we, and we are quick to caricature the Pharisees, but there were some good Pharisees they were literally the separated ones in Israel. They were God-fearing people. And among them was Joseph of Arimathea. And Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee. Philippians 3 says that. He says that a couple times in the book of Acts. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was sold out, he thought, to God, but he was on the wrong path. So as much as we want to broad brush the Pharisees, they were God-fearing, but they were afraid of what might happen to their nation. They'd already taken a bunch of hits with Rome being there and all that was going on. And so Jesus tells this story and he, he talks about the consecrated bread. I'll give you an example of something that could happen. Let's say that uh, you and I were here at the church one day and we had a very poor family come in and uh, let's say they had five kids and a mom and dad and you know, they, they coasted in here, no gas in their car, and they haven't eaten in a couple of days. And let's say they asked us, um, do you have any food here? And we started looking around and we're like, no, Pastor John ate it all. So we got, <laughs> is, he, is he in here right now? <laughs> we got nothing left. However, let's say that we went to the special vault <laughs> and there we found matzah and Welch's grape juice. Let's say we had plenty of that, you know, boxes of crackers. And we looked at that family and said, well, we'd like to give you this. However, it's been set apart for communion only. Now, which is the greater law? Think about the law for a, sec a second. What's the essence of the law? To love God and love what? Your neighbor is yourself. If they're hungry, we're gonna give them the matzah. We'll buy more. That's the, that's the essence of what's going on here. Jesus is saying, look, there's a higher law and it's not all about your restrictions. And he was saying to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not, would you notice, man for the Sabbath. Listen to this, in rabbinic Judaism, the Sabbath had become an end in itself. In fact, the belief became that Israel was created for the purpose of observing the Sabbath. So the rabbis basically said, the reason Israel exists is to honor the Sabbath day. 
And Jesus says, that's not why the Sabbath was created. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Do you understand the statement? He's saying the reason the Sabbath was made was so that you could rest and reflect and have refreshment and look forward and look back. It was not made as an end in and of itself. This parallels the idea of church going. Your goal as a Christian is not just to go to church. Your goal as a Christian is to know the living God and have this be a time where you worship him with the community in spirit and in truth and go out to a dying world and shine the light of Christ, amen? If we make church an end in and of itself, then what we end up saying is the Christian church was created to go to church. What? No, the Christian church was created to go and make disciples of all nations, The church huddles on a Sunday morning or whatever day you come so that we might get filled up and go out into a parched world and be his hands and his feet in the world. This is precious. This is a foretaste of heaven. It's wonderful. But this is not an end in and of itself. And if you get to a point in your Christianity where the biggest thing you do on Sunday is critique everything you didn't like in a service... You in trouble. (laughs) You see, if we get into a pharisaical attitude, if worship becomes more about me than about God, if I didn't prepare my heart to come into this place and say, Lord, how can you make me more of a disciple to be more usable as a vessel for the master? We have lost it, you guys. And in the modern church, a lot of what we've done is we've created our own idols where we judge everything by attendance records and and this and that instead of saying, what is that person doing out in the streets on Monday afternoon? Yeah. That was a kind of a weak applause, but I, I, I completely understand because this whole week I've been preaching this to myself. You know, because as preachers, here's what we do. We gear up for Sunday, right? I told people we had a little uh, mixer last night. I told people for every hour I preach, I study about 20 hours in between golf. Because many of you think that's all I do, right? No, for every hour I preach, I study for about 20 hours. And I teach four Bible studies a week. So that's 80 hours, so I never sleep. No, I'm just kidding, but... uh, But the ministry is a labor of study to deliver the word of God so that you may be equipped for what? Every good work. If we make this an end in and of itself, we're gonna stand before the Lord of the Sabbath one day and he's gonna say, is that what your Christianity was? You judged everything by your building and your sound system and how many people come. Look, we we love the fact that people are coming, but that's not... That's not the essence of our Christianity. And then for this morning, even though I was going to go up to verse 6 of chapter 3, I won't. I'm going to end verse, with verse 28. And here's a consequently, the Son of Man, Jesus, which is a messianic title from Daniel 7, is Lord, what? Even of the Sabbath. Now, if you call yourself Lord of something, everybody know what Lord means? Lord means master. So if you are Lord of something that God created, God created the Sabbath and made it, set it apart as holy, 
So if you claim that you're Lord of the Sabbath, then what does that make you? God. By Jesus saying, I'm Lord over this, he's saying, I made this. Therefore, I can define it. I'm not sure you can, Jesus. What? (laughs) Wait a minute. Rewind the tape. If he made it, does he get to define it? Yes. So if the religious leaders were challenged by what he was saying, that would have been the time to go do some soul searching and say, maybe, maybe I've missed the mark. And indeed, some Pharisees did get saved and did begin to look at their own lives. And they began to say, you know what? I think he has the real answers to life. And so this is what it's about. It's about entering into his rest. He is our true rest. He is our Sabbath. Do you know him? Have you experienced rest? Or is your religion about restriction? Have you defined your Christianity by church attendance or by your time with the Lord and your relationship with him and and how you impact other people's lives Monday through Saturday? That's where I think the Lord speaks to us and says, look, you have rest. Now go and give it away to other people. Have you looked out there? Have you looked into people's eyes lately? How do you think people are doing in the rest category? I'd say not so good. And Jesus says, in me, would you bow your hearts and heads with me? You will find rest for your souls. You could take religions from A to Z, right? Uh, Many world religions, we can take the isms, we can take the cults, we can take many different things where people are trying to perform Mm -hmm. to please a God or multiple gods and goddesses. Uh, Trying to have their good works outweigh their bad works, karma and the like. All performance-based and all bankrupt at the core. Yeah, I know that uh, religion and legalism can... Um, spiritually bind someone and cause yes. them to be a slave and where to they get to the point to where they say am I good enough am I ever going to be doing enough good works in order for me to achieve that righteousness so that I can be with my heavenly father if take this with the Sabbath day okay which comes up a lot in these chapters so the people were almost frozen on the Sabbath because so many man-made laws had been added to the Sabbath that the the essence of what God wanted on the Sabbath had been virtually lost. The people felt frozen on the Sabbath day. So you, you talk about binding. Jesus looked at the people and he said, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden. That actually leads into a teaching on the Sabbath and him teaching about the nature of the Sabbath. If you think about Shabbat being connecting to seven and rest, that's, that's what it's about. It's about resting in God. It's about resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if you want to keep the Sabbath, Friday sundown till Saturday sundown, and that's your conviction, fine. If that's your day of worship, fine. But don't make it a means of salvation because you cannot save yourself. Your good works cannot save you. Jesus saves. And if we can keep that distinction in mind, then what we do will come out of gratitude and out of a finished work, the veil being torn from top to bottom. And it won't be about us looking within or trying to perform to be in good standing with God. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona.com 
or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.